And so all of this conversation, I feel, is partly women later in life who are looking at all the ways we've been conditioned. It's our Western faith tradition. It's the church. It's patriarchy. And so there's a lot of deconstructing and decolonizing that is all related to all of it. shadows way too long you always thought that you were weak but babe you're wrong yeah you better step into the light just give it a try think that it's time you let that spark out you've been hiding in the shadows way too long Hey, welcome to the Coming Out Late Podcast. I'm Robin, your host, and I'm a late bloomer, just like you. We are a part of a rapidly growing, lesser known, or even talked about subset of the queer community. We're a tribe, if you will. And if you're anything like me, when I came out, I was confused, scared. I felt like I was going crazy and I felt all alone and had nobody to talk to. Not to worry, you've come to the right place. In the Coming Out Late podcast, you'll hear real, raw, and relatable Coming Out Late stories. You'll be inspired, informed, and educated, and you'll definitely feel supported. And you can stop feeling like you're living someone else's life and start living your own. So welcome. You have found your tribe. And welcome to the Coming Out Late podcast. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Coming Out Late podcast, episode number 75. Wow, we are almost there. We're almost there to that magical 100th episode. Anyway, I am Robin, your host of the Coming Out Late podcast, and I want to thank each and every one of you for choosing to spend your time with me today. You were just listening to a brief snippet of a recent conversation I had with a few new late-blooming friends of mine, Edie and Debbie, clergy folk no less, and members of our Coming Out Late Facebook group. Who'd have thunk? that queer women are clergy folk. I had no idea. We are also joined by one of my support group friends, Natalie. As the title of this episode suggests, we do talk about religion. So if religion is or can be a trigger for you, then perhaps this is not the episode for you to listen to, and we can catch up with you in another episode. However, that being said, this conversation about religion is like no other certainly unlike any conversation about religion that I have ever been a part of. But then again, full disclosure, I have not been a part of that many conversations about religion, and that was by design and intentional on my part. Much to my surprise, this and our subsequent hours of clergy conversations that followed this experiment were much less about religion and turned out to be more about love, people, acceptance, and community. I say experiment because this episode, as well as the subsequent clergy episodes that will follow this one, came about as a result of a very innocent introductory post in our Coming Out Late Facebook group. It went something like this. Hi folks, spelled F-O-L-X. I'm new here, and I'm Kim, and I'm a 55-year-old clergy person celebrating three years of outness this month. And then Kim went on to introduce herself. But a beautiful thing happened as a result of that post. Little by little, a few more late bloomers bravely came out of the woodwork and revealed that they too were clergy people or were graduating soon from seminary school. What was most striking to me was the sincere sense of surprise and relief that they each expressed when they found out that there were other late blooming queer clergy folks right there within our very own coming out late community. It was beautiful, really, to sit back and watch the exchange of introductions and excitement. I can only imagine the sense of relief and joy for them to know that they are doubly not alone. They are not alone as a late bloomer, and they are definitely not alone as late-blooming queer clergy people. A coming-out late friend of mine, Susie, said, Robin, after reading these introductions, I think you have a potential podcast episode here. And so, I reached out, I planned... I organized, and together, recorded nearly four hours of conversations between two separate groups of queer clergy folks. And what transpired was nothing short of magical 
invigorating, energizing, informative, and comforting. As I have in recent podcast episodes, I will again save all the announcements for the end of this episode. So if you want to know more about the support groups, upcoming events and activities, my private one-on-one coaching sessions, and about the retreats that are available to you, you're going to have to wait until the end of this episode. All right, so let's get into it, shall we? We are going to just jump right into part one of the beginning of a nearly two-hour conversation with fellow late bloomers who also happen to be queer clergy folks. We are here with Debbie and Edie and Natalie and myself, Robin, from the Coming Out Late podcast, and we're going to talk about all things clergy today and religion and all that good stuff. So first, I'm going to ask Debbie to please introduce herself to the group, to the listeners, and take it away, Deb. Well, I am super excited to be here. I'm super excited to be most places all the time, especially as a late bloomer. And I am 55. I graduate seminary in May. So the culmination of a four-year program. And I'm super excited about that. I'm like a 15-year-old. I'm super excited. But I, I have a background in... Loosely like community service, I actually get paid for restaurant work. Nothing else I do actually pays me except restaurant work at this point. I had a short stint as an American Baptist pastor at a very small congregation that I'm sure some of those details will come up later in the podcast. I've been married twice, currently married. I'm in the messy middle with a girlfriend and five kids, almost six grandkids. And really just want to live my life in a way that leaves no lack of authenticity. That was kind of wordy and stupid sounding, but I don't want to live life as anything other than who I am. And if somebody is not able to support that, then they are not my people, including a church. So I know where we're at. That is beautiful. So welcome. Welcome. Welcome, Deb. Thanks for that introduction. And Edie, you are up. Who are you? How did you get here? I am Edie. I'm 59. I married a pastor in 1990. And then I immediately started going to seminary. I graduated from Fuller Theological Seminary in 2002. It took me a while, about 10 years of study. They said I would have to start repeating classes if I didn't finish. And I also had two humans during that time. So lots of lots of juggling during seminary. I became a pastor ordained in 2006. And the difference between graduating with your credentials and ordination is that a community has called you into a pastoral role. And so there's a, there's a slight distinction there. So even though I graduated in 02, I didn't graduate a pastor. I just graduated with the credentials and then was ordained into a position, which I actually shared with my husband. Right now, I consider myself an expert with a small E, although sometimes it's a capital E, depending on the conversation, but in transitional ministry. So I go in and I help churches find their next leadership, find their next pastor. And I start a new church next week, and it'll be the seventh in nine years. So even though it looks like I can't hold a job, I hope that at a deeper level, it looks like I'm good at what I do. (laughs) So basically, my story in short is that I fell in love with an amazing lesbian woman two churches ago, four years ago, on the first day of my new transitional call. And about a month in, I was crushing really hard on her. But I immediately told my executive director and my husband that day. And she and I never had a physical relationship. I am realizing because of that experience and spending some time in this messy middle for me that I have quite a long pattern of falling in love with girlfriends and having really intimate relationships throughout my life. And I just kind of resigned to it about 10 years ago. Like it's just, that's just part of who I am. But I never really shared with anyone that I was attracted to women. But when I met this, this gal, I felt that I was just tired of masking. I was tired of pretending. I was trying 
to just be all things to all people. Part of that just as a woman, part of that as an ADHD woman, part of that as just, you know, our conditioning. And like I said, I'm 59 now. She is 63. And so part of this is kind of like, I want to just kind of get on with my life and live my, the life that I have for the rest of my days. I think the pandemic and my nest emptying with adult children and otherwise, I also had financial freedom that many people don't have. It afforded me, pr- frankly, the privilege to just move out and move on. So it wasn't necessarily difficult. Unfortunately, it was too much for her. And so I lost her as my best friend. I lost her in, in my life. And at her insistence, we have not seen each other since March of last year, which was the time of my divorce was finalized after 31 years of being married to my husband. My ex and I are both transitional pastors in the Presbyterian Church, USA. He had to move out of state this last year, but we are still pretty close. We're still best the best friends that we were when we met and married. We are still parents to our adult kiddos. We call each other to either talk about church stuff or family stuff. His family has been understanding since day one. His 90-year-old mother called me and said, no matter what, you will always be, you know, beloved. And I've appreciated that and love that. I do not have that relationship with my own brother and sister. They know I'm divorced, but they don't know the backstory why. I've only come out to maybe a trusted few with my story, because as we're probably going to talk about today, the Christian community is a little wonky with saying they're welcoming or not being welcoming. But what I'm learning is that they are learning how to love every body, every body. And that includes female bodies, that includes gay bodies, people of color. We have two awesome kids. They make me look like an attentive, good mom. Okay. But the jury is still out. Our daughter is 25. She is married to a wonderful man just as a year and a half ago. She lives in Salem, Massachusetts. My son is 28 and has an amazing girlfriend, and he is working on his undergrad at Arizona State University. I am so thrilled to share this is sacred space today. It's sacred because of the journey. It's sacred because of Lagos. I'll throw out the $25 word. It's sacred because of grace. It's sacred because of shalom, another $25 word. And I'm just really grateful to be with everyone today. Hey, you do know this is not Jeopardy, right? <laughs> yeah, they're only $25 words. You can really get oh. those anyway. Okay. Yeah. You can All get right. those anyway. Thank you so much, Edie. Thanks for being here. And wow, this is such a cool, cool combination of people and experiences and backgrounds. And it's just, it's really awesome. And I'm so jealous that, you know, you're, you're such a good friend with your ex. It's not my story, as everybody knows. And now we also have a visitor here with us today who, who wanted to listen into our conversation. And, and so I want Natalie to introduce herself. Welcome, Natalie. Thank you. So I'm 46. I came out to myself in 2019 after I stopped attending the LDS church that I had been born and raised in for 42 years and yeah I I couldn't accept it until I removed myself from the yeah from it and it was it was very difficult because everything well I don't want to speak negatively about any religion but it was it's it was hard to leave so I am trying to figure things out as far as what where to go with my spirituality and my relationship with God. I do not feel a need to reconcile my being gay. I I think God is really happy about that. <laughs> and you know, I don't think there's any issue there. I I still want to figure things out though because being in that setting for so long, it really felt like God was the church and they were the same. And so, yeah, I'm just sorting through everything, I guess. Oh, and I'm, I'm divorced and 
divorced almost two years and good friends with my ex-husband and we have two young adult children. Awesome. Very, very awesome. Thanks. Welcome. Welcome, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here to be a part of this conversation. And it's such a necessary conversation. It really is. Just listening to the wealth of knowledge and experiences. And it's interesting. You know, I do have a higher power. I never believed in God my whole life. And I didn't believe in all the, all the religious part of it. But I knew that there was something bigger than myself. You know, I knew that there was something other than me pushing up the pansies and, and uh, making the sun come up and come down and the rain and the snow. I, you know, I, I'm pretty damn powerful, but I'm not that powerful. And it's actually through my 12-step program. I mean, I'm in AA and it's not a religious program. It's a spiritual program. And I had gotten really, really close to my higher power, my inner strength, my whatever, the God of my understanding. And yeah, it's, it, I can't even imagine. I, my heart goes out to the women who are, who are coming out or thinking about coming out and wanting to leave their church or trying to reconcile who they are with their religious background. I feel lucky in a way that I didn't have to untangle that because that's just another layer of, of pain and angst of having to go through in the coming out late process. So yeah, thank you so much for your input, Natalie, and for all of you for being here. Also, thank you for explaining to me, Edie, the difference between, because as I explained to the gals before we started recording that I really don't have a lot of religious background. I don't understand a lot of the terminology, but that somebody could graduate from seminary school, but not yet be ordained, like you have to receive a pastoral appointment or assignment. And that, that, that helped me a lot to understand the difference. So I appreciate that. And I never knew there was such a thing as transitional ministry. That's really cool. I guess there's probably a lot of different kinds of ministry. But anyway, so we will find that out. So in, in our private Facebook group, coming out late, this, this whole gathering came about because a few of you said, hey, I'm a minister. Hey, I'm ordained. And hey, I'm in seminary school. And hey, hey, hey. It was really cool to watch. Like you all were springing up, like, like I said, like pansies around. And then somebody else in our group jumped in and said, well, Robin, you should have them on your podcast. You know, this wouldn't that be a cool conversation? I was like, duh, yeah, great idea. So we gathered, we gathered a few of you together today, and then we have another recording in a couple of hours with another group of, of clergy folks. And, and so I asked our group, I asked our coming out late group, hey, I'm ready to be recording this, you know, in a couple of days, send me your questions. So we have a handful of questions that I think are really great jumping off points from which to start a conversation. And I think the one I want to start with is one that I would love to know the answer to as well. I don't know if they wanted me to name their name, so I think I'll leave their names out. But here's a question that was submitted. How are you able to reconcile your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be? And I guess this is a three-part. What do you say to those that condemn being gay? And what does God or the Bible actually have to say about this? So we'll just go in. <laughs> we'll go in. Oh, I can't. What the Bible? Oh my gosh, what the Bible really says about homosexuality. Debbie just held up a book. Very cool. And you know, before I start, before I, I ask you guys, to, somebody in our group post uh, an announcement that a, a very important man had just recently died, like last month. And he's a guy who, while in seminaries, he wrote a letter to. Does any of this ring a bell? And he questioned. He questioned why the Bible had changed. Like it was, it was like back in 1939 or something. Was, they took, they put in like homosexuality and all that good stuff. Like, is any of this ringing a bell to anybody? Jump in. Yeah. All right. Go ahead, Edie. I'm, I'm, and I'm new to that conversation, but a documentary okay. has just been made of, called 1946, the movie. It, I don't know if you can view it yet, but I believe it's it's coming out really soon. The premise is that in 1946, the group of people who were working on the Revised Standard Version, there's many, many different translations to Scripture, but this one was the Revised Standard Version, took one of the words in Greek and translated into English as homosexual when it really wasn't quite the nuance. It wasn't... wasn't there was no evidence that that was the precise meaning. 
but as what we have, we all are aware of, especially at this age, is that we are having to go back and interrogate the things that we've always been taught and take a look at the ways that the church has imposed some generalizations that have really hurt people. And I will say folks who are trying to be biblical Christians and faithful and all of the things basically start to regurgitate that which they've always been taught. And the harm that we know now has been done and people have lost their lives, regardless of feeling like whether they can be their true selves or not. There's just a lot of work that needs to be done. And so all of this conversation, I feel, is partly women later in life who are looking at all the ways we've been conditioned. It's our Western faith tradition. It's the church. It's patriarchy. And so there's a lot of deconstructing and decolonizing that is all related to all of it. So I'm really intrigued about this movie coming out. There's some wonderful interviews with the director. One's featuring Mary Lambert, who sings the song, She Keeps Me Warm, but basically saying we need to take, we need to take another look and ask for God to share more illumination and more light on the scriptures so that we don't have to reconcile anything, as Natalie said, but we need to get to know this ancient knowing that is a profound love. And Robin, I, I would suggest that you know that love because of what you do with your days 24-7. It's clear to me that you do know love and that religion in this case is not helping anybody. And you don't need a Masters of Divinity to be able to say that out loud. Cool. I do know love. And, and to me, through my journey through recovery, it's, it's become super clear to me that we are here to be love and spread love and be light and to love one another, help each other, lift each other up. That's really what I believe. Go ahead, Deb. I was going to say one of the $25 words that Edie used before was shalom. And I, I think at a surface level, we all might think that word means peace, but what it really communicates is a sense of wholeness and completeness. And that idea of being reconciled to religion, I won't rehash everything that Edie said because she's spot on. I think religion is part of the fracture that we've experienced in a world of shalom. And so coming back to yourself and being like authentically who you were created to be, to me, is a process of embracing shalom. And I, I think, you know, I have an understanding of God kind of similar to you, Robin, more of like a divine. It, it's, I always say it's the God that I don't understand who said, go to seminary. And I just said, okay, because I was looking for my next season in life. And it was super clear and I was nowhere headed in that direction. And so I went. And it was part of my seminary journey that really kicked me out of the closet because I could not, I could not minister to people in an authentic way, not living authentically. So for me, it's, it's all been part of coming back to shalom and wholeness and actually reconciling myself to the divine to live more freely. So I, I think I said, but I'm part of the American Baptist denomination, which I always follow up with, not those Baptists, and if that or not, but I don't think anybody would disagree. So wow. that, that was beautifully put as well. And, and something Natalie said, I wanted to, I finally remembered what, what it was I wanted to springboard off of something Natalie said about, you know, I believe that, that God loves me too, you know, and, and even Edie said, loves the body, you know, loves the spirit, you know, I'm really big into spirit and soul. And I actually, I, I totally agree that I, I feel on some level, my spirituality helped me come out. You know, it was bopping me on the head for the longest time and I didn't get it. And, and, I, and I truly believe that all of us that are coming out are doing so on, for some other divine purpose. You know, it's, a, it's an awakening and a, and, a, and a raising of the consciousness is really what I, I believe. And it's in order so that we can spread wholeness and completeness. I really think, and, and because, you know, people in the LGBTQ community, in my opinion, and yeah, there are a few outliers, but 
in my opinion, the, the people in the LGBTQ community are, are so full of love and acceptance. You know, we just automatically love and accept you, you know, and who would not want a world full of those kind of bodies? And, and so that I really do think that we're going to take over the world in our gay little selves and, and spread love. I mean, I really do. That's just my, my theory that because, my gosh, you know, our, our coming out late Facebook group would not be growing 75 to 100 women per week if it weren't the case. You know, we are finally waking up to the suppression and the conditioning and, and wanting to be whole. It's so uncomfortable not feeling whole. It really is. It almost doesn't matter anymore what happens in the rest of my life because I finally feel free and I feel whole. And to me that I am the richest person in the world if, if I can feel that, you know. So very cool. Thank you for those that input. So, I, so anyway, there was somebody posted. I got to find who, I, who it was. Might have been Lottie. If you're listening, please put it back in our Facebook group. It was a, it was a snippet of a YouTube video of this guy who was being interviewed about two years ago. As a young, like, 17-year-old dude in seminary school, he wrote a letter to these folks who were, I think every, I'm going to get all this stuff, is the time and the amount of time, like, every seven years or 14 years or something, the Bible is re-looked at and, and revised or something. And so anyway, he was a little bit too late. He was, like, just missed the revision ceremony and, and meeting and conference but he wrote the letter and, and uh, they held on to it and, and, they re- and they responded to him and said, you know, young man, thank you so much for writing this. Because he, he, he said, like, I think you've got it wrong in the translation of homosexual is not what, you know, it's Greek word is such and such. And it means this. And he wrote, he's very, he was very intellectual and wrote a really, really good letter explaining why he thought that they were wrong in, in this new revision of the Bible. And they held on to his letter and, the, and then like 13 years passed. When they had to, you know, look at the Bible again, and and I think they considered his letter and what a, it's great. I got to find the YouTube video. And the poor guy just passed away, I think, a month or two ago. But it was because of him, you know, that that our consciousness and our awareness has been at least zeroed in on this on this issue, which is so cool. So, how do you all reconcile your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be, and what do you say to those that condemn being gay? And what does God and the Bible actually have to say about this? And I will shut up now. Wow, that's that's a big question. We should probably take that in a few parts. Definitely, definitely. It's a huge question. So let's start with how do you reconcile? How are you able to or are you able to or are you still reconciling, you know, your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be? You want to go first, Deb? Sure. I think I'll start with understanding from a theological standpoint exactly what we've been saying. Those those words don't say what we've been taught they say. I will also say, because I've had it gently explained to me, that homosexuality is kind of like anger. Like like you see a child in a sandbox, you know, one kid will cry, the other kid will throw something. And those are like two distinct types. And some people are attracted to same sex and some people aren't. And I kind of reconcile that, that one of these is love and one isn't, you know, if, if God, the Bible clearly says everything about God is love, except for the parts where he's telling people to slaughter other nations, but that's a whole nother conversation. But, you know, if what I'm feeling towards somebody is love and all good things come from above and this is a good thing, and those are actually scriptures, then how, then how is this wrong? Somebody has misinterpreted. And for me, that always brings it back to whose agenda is that serving? And honestly, it's it's serving patriarchy and tradition and powers that have been in charge since the early days, not the earliest days of the church, but maybe since the Roman Empire. And so, yeah, I think seminary has helped me understand that. But in my heart and in my core, I have always challenged that idea and belonged to a real conservative church for a while that kept trying to mansplain to me why I was misunderstanding and, and I wasn't having it. I, I think you have to be true to your gut, your, your literal God-given divine intuition, and ask those hard questions of whose agenda is this serving because it's divine. Amen to the gut. I mean, I love the gut. I, I have been so lucky to have been born 
with a really strong gut that I ignored, you know, so for so long, but it finally spoke up to me. I mean, I tell a funny story about, and I'll make this as quickly as I can. And this is what started getting my attention because I think they had been doing this for a bunch of years. But I would go to the supermarket with a list and I would, you know, plan on getting everything that's on the list. And something kept drawing me to the peanut butter. And I'm like, we don't have peanut, we don't need peanut butter, not on my list. Stop it. You know, like whatever that was, was, and, and then my head just kept going to the peanut butter. And I'm like, we don't need peanut butter. So I'd go on my way, you know, pay for the stuff and go home. And my youngest daughter would say, oh, mom, you're at the food store. You picked up peanut butter, right? And my jaw just dropped, like dropped. And I tell you, that has happened to me many times, things like that. So yes, our, our, our divine, you know, our divine, our divinity, I think resides in our intuition and our inner knowing because we're guided by our a higher power. So I love that. I love the, all, everything that man's explaining. That cracks me up. All right. We're going to let Edie answer the question and then we will introduce Rachel, who just joined us. So Edie, how are you able to reconcile your religious beliefs with who you know yourself to be? <laughs> I think I have to go back to I'm not sure anything needs to be reconciled. Because I think we could also ask, how could I reconcile the fact that I didn't feel comfortable in a traditional marriage with my, with my beliefs? So I think to do a deep dive maybe into the beautiful part of why I wanted to go to seminary, because I was more curious about this God who I knew loved me and was totally aware of the presence of a eternal person who is love abiding with me all the time. And it wasn't new. The discovery was that 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 warmth and that wisdom and that light had always been with me. So I was the one that just needed to recognize it, but it had always been there. So I didn't conjure it up. I didn't get, you know, everything to match up just right. And no one could take that experience away from me. And so it was really getting to know that love. And the fact of the matter is the way that the church thought being faithful was excluding people just became evidence that the the church wasn't getting it either and had a lot of work to do whether it's this translation we talked about and and by the way the reference is first corinthians 6 9 but it's consider who the client is as debbie said who benefits from this being the hard fast rule as if we're chiseling back into stone you know more marching orders and some of the axioms that help me, and, it, and they're not really a deep dive, but basically where scripture is not clear, we cannot be, is one thing. So when the church espouses to be the expert, we need to ask more questions about who benefits from that. And the other is that if particularly this legalism around same-sex relationships was so paramount, which the church has made, very paramount. Why wouldn't Christ himself speak to it? And that we also just be smart about looking at scripture and lifting up scripture for, for all it is as far as a revelation and a place to start with having these conversations for sure. And it's why in our tradition, we're required to have multiple biblical languages so that we're not being bamboozled by just the person who has the biggest microphone. But Christ did not make this the go-to. Instead, when he did speak, it was constantly about turning empire upside down. And so I would ask our siblings in the more conservative camps to reconcile they need to reconcile their beliefs about being faithful as exclusionary. And then I throw back the word inerrant, which means without error. And some of us 
have to speak to what our beliefs are about the inerrancy of scripture in our ordination process. But right now, I just say inclusion has always been inerrant. Inclusion has always been inerrant in scripture. And I would ask my siblings, my literal siblings, and also our Christian siblings to reconcile that because we're, we're professing a message that is inerrant. <laughs> so. Holy moly. Drop the mic. Oh, sorry. Big $25 words. <laughs> and I can see that Rachel is from my tradition, from all of the letters. And if you would like me to decode those for you, oh, I can, but I suspect she can do it herself. I, I think she can do it herself. And, and Rachel just joined us. Thank you so much, Rachel. And yeah, we just got started in this conversation. Just ask the first question, but before, before, I mean, and I'll ask Natalie if she wants to respond at all to the question. How did, how is she able to reconcile her religious beliefs with who she is? And I think actually in your, in your introduction, you kind of said that's what you're working on. Well, I, I agree with Edie, like they need to reconcile. Yeah. Amen, man. Amen to that. So we're going to have Rachel introduce herself. Welcome, welcome, Rachel, to the clergy podcast. I think we Thank might- you. We should do, we should actually have our own podcast. You know, that would be so cool, actually. I think I just came up with a good idea. But anyway, welcome, welcome, Rachel. And I'd love you, I'd love for you to introduce yourself to everybody listening. Well, hi, everyone. My name is Rachel. I am 54 years old. I am part of the Presbyterian tradition. But a little bit about my background, I was not raised in the church at all. So it wasn't until I got into college and I'd gone to lived in Indianapolis, went to school in Eastern Kentucky, and it it was the Southern Baptists who were active on campus. In fact, one of my college roommates was was a Southern Baptist. So I had gotten invited to go down to the Baptist Student Union, and I had some, you know, I wanted to know more about the church. Anyway, so I got involved. I had a a very intense conversion experience to Christianity, what what would have been called born again. And not long after, I felt called to preach. And it was around that time when I realized, yeah, your first problem is you're a woman. And even my campus minister said, you're going to face a lot. This is an uphill battle for you. And of course, at that time, I, you know, I love Jesus. I love God. I loved everybody. It was part of that whole, you know, intensity of, of being converted. And so when I went to seminary, Southern Baptist Seminary, I got a quick lesson in the politics of the church and was was told by by men that you have misinterpreted your call to But then one of my closest friends at seminary was a closeted gay man. And seeing his entire struggle of of trying to reconcile his own sexuality in a in a tradition that absolutely there was no no acceptance and and even at that point i I still wasn't sure you know how I felt about my own sexuality. I mean, there were always inklings i was i I wasn't wanting to do a whole lot of dating anyway. And so, so I really didn't know who I was looking for. So when the, when the Baptist said, oh, homosexuality is wrong, I'm like, oh, well, okay, if that's what the Bible says, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know. And, and then it, you know, over time, I seeing my friend Chris struggle and going through my own struggles as, as a, a woman and then getting married and not long after getting divorced from a, an abusive relationship with a, Southern Baptist man, I, I completely left the church. And I'm like, this is crap. This is complete crap. This is not the Jesus that I met. And left the church for about a year and started, started looking for where I could re-belong and found the Presbyterians. And as soon as they found out I had a master of divinity, they're, not, they're like, why aren't you a pastor? And of course, I shared the story. And they said, oh, yeah, we're different were different. But at that time, the Presbyterian church was going through the the issues of the ordination of gays and lesbians. So 
it was still, that was a very much a hot topic in the church. And, and again, I was not pursuing that part of who I was. I was, you know, healing from a divorce, going through some horrible, my 30s were awful, awful time of drama and poor choices. And then when I started to go, go on the ordination process with the Presbyterians, I sort of re refocused my life just on career, just on God. So now I've been ordained for 18 years. And about four years ago, I really started looking at my sexuality. And by this point, Presbyterians are, have voted, yes, we, lo we love the LGBTQ people and they can serve and they can be ordained. And that's, that's kind of where we are now. And as I've come out in, in my own life and with my close friends, a few people at my church know I mean, I think my church would be accepting of it, but I haven't, you know, I, there, there are enough people in the church that might have a problem with it that I, I, I'm still trying to figure out how I'm going to navigate that path. So I hope I haven't completely said a whole lot, but there it is. No, that was great. That was a great introduction. And it just, it blows my mind. Like, I, as you were talking, especially towards the end, like, I don't know how my church will receive me. It's like, I cut fast forward 20, 30 years from now, people are going to be blown away by this conversation. Like, what do you mean they wouldn't accept you? You know, like it, I feel like this is such an antiquated conversation that we're having, you know, and we, it's so, it's so sad. It's so sad. Wow. So, do, and did you explain all the, what's TE? Oh, us. yeah. So, TE stands for teaching elders. So this is, you know, this is what I use when I Zoom with my presbytery. FPC is First Presbyterian Church. Okay, cool. So, yeah. Very and I'm, cool. I'm in North Central Wisconsin. Lovely. All right. Well, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad you joined us. I don't know. I don't want to put pressure on you. Maybe you sort of answered some of it, like how you reconciled your religious beliefs. Well, I, you know, I do have a question and you don't. You know, in my support groups and on my podcasts, anything I ask, you don't have to answer. You know, my my brain just just goes and and how what did anything in particular happen four years ago when you started to look at your own sexuality and and what made you decide to come out to yourself or you know, what was that journey like for you? Oh, it's actually it's kind of funny. So after my divorce and some crappy relationships in my thirties with guys. I just sort of have gone for like, it's like 20 years without going on a date. And I thought, okay, maybe it's time to, time to start dating again. And I was so, I was thinking men, right? So I get a, a, an account on match.com and, and it's the first guy I met in person. We had gone to a, a, a museum, a little museum around in town and then went to lunch afterward. And I had gone through my early 40s had gone through cancer. So that was another huge deal that I, and so he, when he starts talking about how big, big pharma is controlling the cure to cancer, I'm like, oh my God, I waited 20 years for this. And so I was like, I mean, I am, and, and oh my God. men weren't even, men aren't even attractive to me anymore. I'm like, oh my God, men, they all look like my grandfather or something, you know? So I, you know, I thought, well, maybe I should pursue this. I've always had an attraction to women. You know, now the church is open to this. I don't, I don't have it. You know, I've had some, some experiences early in my life that I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it a shot. So I, I switched from Match.com looking for men and started looking for women. Yes, that's yeah. great. And, and absolutely have no... I, you know, I no problem with God, with how God feels about it. I mean, I never adopted that stance of the Southern Baptists of being that, that, that God is opposed to this. And I learned, you know, even, even way back in, in school, the, the five clobber verses and what was wrong with Salmon. Yeah. So more been in it, just a self-awakening and I've never really, it, it's more been the organized part of religion that's had a problem with sexuality i don't think god's ever had a i've never i've never felt that that is beautiful oh my gosh if this is such a cool conversation it really is oh my gosh natalie do you have anything you want to comment on what you've heard or any questions for, for these three folk and you don't have to i mean i don't mean to put you on the spot i'm gonna keep thinking okay keep thinking way to go 
All right. So what do you say to those who that condemn being gay? If you've ever had to do that, that's the first. We'll go back up to Debbie, then we'll do Edie, and then we'll come back down to Rachel. What what do you or what would you say to those that condemn being gay? I feel like I need to preface that question by saying that somebody gave me a t-shirt that said, I love Jesus, but I cuss a little. So I'm just going to leave that right there. <laughs> And move on to like my actual answer is I believe we need to love people where they're at, but we also need to have their boundaries. And so what I would say to somebody who condemned homosexuality, I, I would ask them what they're basing it on. I would invite them to a deeper understanding of, you know, the clabber verses, because that's what most people rest on. And, and I mean, I know that we're focusing on Christianity, but many religions have prohibitions against homosexuality. So I would, no matter what faith I'm talking to, I think I would encourage them to take a deeper dive. I did hold up that book and it says what the Bible really says about homosexuality. Um, and that's the title of it. If anybody needs to jump on a website and order one. And I would point out that this was sent to me by my Baptist Women in Ministry mentor when I came out to my small cohort. And they have been nothing but amazingly supportive and, and helping equip me to talk to people about this. And I would also say that I delivered a pride sermon to my church in June. I tried to hit like culturally relevant things and give them a way to view these things through the lens of scripture. And I invited them to a deeper understanding of what the Bible actually says and how the actions of the church have been so harmful to the gay community and to the mental health of people and have torn families apart when we're called to love one another. And unfortunately, that stance cost me my pastorship. And I had people walk out of my sermon and refuse to come back and basically say, as long as I was the pastor, they, they wanted no part of it. They also didn't like my stance on the Second Amendment or that I didn't want the American flag on the stage right next to Jesus. So we had a couple of issues going. Oh, my gosh. So I, I chose for their long-term vitality and my mental health to step aside and let them figure out how they wanted to process. Because no matter how gentle and loving and kind and space-making you are with people, if they're not going to agree or want to change and, and to me, it feels like they are looking for a reason to hate, honestly, because I, I take it as a, as a direct attack on my humanity at that point. I will also say I was not out at that point. That came a few months later in direct relation to what happened because I was preaching as an ally and a pastor, but I was honestly preaching as a lesbian with my husband and family in the front row in, in full knowledge, actually. And so it also felt like a, a direct assault on my humanity. And wow. So, yeah. So some people, you can talk till you're blue in the face and they're, you know, they're, they're not going to change. And at that point, it's time for boundaries. Yeah. Very well said. Very well said. Edie, do you have a comment about what you say to those that condemn being gay? I guess I'm still working on some of my sound bites and it does kind of depend on the person and the context and things like that, not to sound uber analytical. Early on when I was asked as a pastor what my views were, and I think that's because more and more people in the church have children who are part of the queer community and they, they are very curious. And I, I love the fact that I was approachable enough that folks would bring that question to me. And it was at a time, I think, Rachel mentioned is that the, the church, we had many churches who were deciding whether to stay within our denomination or leave for a more conservative branch. And especially as women in ministry, you know, it's not like we can have more career options as we move more conservative and right. But, and the assumption also was that the pastors would just follow, but we are not members of our congregations. We're kind of like free agents. And I knew that if our churches were going to continue to 
to move further to the right, that there would be no work for me going forward. And Rachel, your story about the messages that we got about being women and women in leadership, as I can totally re resonate with. But I think early on when I was asked, I basically said, I just can't imagine that God would make it all about plumbing, which was my response. And to really help people focus on what a relationship is, what a loving relationship is. And again, it kind of goes back to who needs to reconcile with who is how do you reconcile the absolute abusive, hurtful, heterosexual relationships that we are all very much aware of? And, and I know I have friends who their pastors told them they had to stay in a very toxic, unhealthy relationship because that was their duty or obligation and that all of the problems in their marriage they were bringing on for not wanting to be intimate with their husband. And I'll take the wonkiness of my life right now over that any day. I'm fortunate that that was not necessarily my story, but I have certainly, as we all do, friends who are in extremely unhealthy relationships. And so I feel like if you invite people into a conversation about what the mutual, the, the reciprocity of respect and love and self-giving and what we understand love to be in this kind of self-giving, other-centered space, sacred space, is to lift that up and take the plumbing out of it. And I'm not very far into it, but if you're familiar with Sonia Renee Taylor's book, The Body is Not an Apology, and it's not necessarily a, a religious book. It, I, it's spiritual in the way that we've been defining it today. But she says, this isn't just about body positive. This is about a movement of how the world will be reconciled one to the other if we look at people as body, as mind, and as spirit. And I feel like, you know, when we're told that we're women and we're miss hearing the spirit in a call to ministry, or if, you know, because of who we love, we're getting it wrong, or all of these kinds of things, that we are really like dissecting up a person. And what we're talking about with sexuality is the same work that we're doing around race and socioeconomics and justice and, and all kinds of things is that who benefits from this system continuing to oppress people? And so, like I said, I mean, I'm kind of going a little bit in a bunch of different directions, but if a person asks me to explain why I believe, frankly, doesn't care about who we love, I think you have to unpack from their perspective, as, as you do with any critical conversation, from their perspective, are you making this about legalism? Is this about something that you were taught and you, you have to now rethink a beloved pastor who told you something was true 30 years ago and you can't go there, or you don't want to be wrong, or you have guilt in the way that you've been complicit in hurting other humans? Or, you know, and so I think the response kind of has to kind of match up to their their reason for asking. And I just think, like with Sonia Renee Taylor, this is transformative on all of the isms and all of the levels that we just start seeing people as people. You know, I I, I don't want to be treated well because I have Rev in front of my name. I don't want to be treated well because I'm a woman. I don't want to be treated well because I'm of a certain age. I want to be treated well because I'm a person and I am a beloved child of God as everyone else is also. And let's live, let's live into that. And so instead of trying to reconcile a same-sex relationship, again, I would ask them to reconcile how they can lift up very toxic, abusive relationships that are hetero. I, I love, I love all that. My God. I, I love that you put it back in, into there rather than responding to a stupid question. I mean, in my, these are my words, a stupid question, you know, a closed minded question, a judgmental question, rather than answer it, you pose a question back to them. And my goodness, he benefits from this system. He benefits from this like that. You know, I want to blame everything on the patriarchy. But and I mean, really, that's what we're talking about. 
But, but well, you know, it's so much more politically correct to say who benefits from this rather than pointing fingers. And I love that. That should be the question that we all ask ourselves, all of us, men, women, and everybody in between, who benefits from this? And man, that's a, that's a really profound, good question to ask. Is it really, I mean, we all know who benefits, you know, big pharma, patriarchy, it's ridiculous. And, and that's what I love. You know, I really do believe that part of our coming out process and part of our coming out journey is to raise these questions. You know, as we raise our consciousness and our awareness, we are then becoming aware of who benefits from this system. And this is just a great conversation. A great conversation indeed. Who does this benefit? What system does this benefit? I have literally and obsessively been asking myself that question every day in all aspects of my life ever since we had this conversation. Who does this benefit? I hope you have been enlightened by some of the topics and things that you've heard us discuss so far, and I invite you all to please come back and tune in next week as we conclude this conversation in the part two episode of the Talking Religion with Late Blooming Clergy Folks on the Coming Out Late podcast. And remember, this part one and part two are just the beginning. We went on to record a whole nother two-hour clergy conversation with some additional late-blooming clergy after recording this one. So there are lots more thoughtful conversations to be had surrounding religion and faith and Q&A with the queer clergy folks. As always, if you get value from my weekly podcasts, I invite you to show your appreciation by buying me a virtual coffee at www dot buymeacoffee.com forward slash Robin Douglas, R-O-B-I-N-D-O-U-G-L-A-S-S. And I want to take this opportunity to say a super heartfelt thank you to those of you who have already bought me virtual coffees. Thank you so much for your support. It really does mean the world to me. I am offering one-on-one private coaching and it has been a sincere privilege and pleasure working with all of the amazing men and women coming out later in life, helping them navigate the twists and turns, potholes and hills present to us during our coming out late journey. I've been seeing such growth in each and every one of my coaching clients, so much growth. If you want to learn more about my private one-on-one coaching, feel free to email me at comingoutlater at gmail.com. I would love to work with you to help guide you through your coming out late journey. Retreats. We are still taking names for the Phoenix, Arizona retreat, taking place from Thursday, April 13th until Sunday, April 16th. So send me an email to comingoutlater at gmail.com if you would like to be added to the group email regarding the details for that retreat. And indicate to me whether you are staying with us in the hotel or you are local to the area and just want to join in on our shenanigans. And I'll just say all the local lesbians and my coming out late gal pals who live out there are all abuzz about our retreat coming into Phoenix. I am so looking forward to that retreat. And likewise, if you would like to join our coming out late friends in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, we will be retreating to Rehoboth from April 27th to April 30th. I have already booked two queen suites at the Breakers Hotel, which they tell me sleep between five to six women in each suite. You can be added to the Women's Fest waitlist and expect to receive group emails by simply emailing me your interest in the Women's Fest retreat to comingoutlater at gmail.com. And the link for the Women's Fest weekend can also be found in the show notes. I'm actually really super excited to finally be going, and I also think it will be a really nice, safe, and well-attended event for us late bloomers to experience all sorts of things together. So I hope you can join us. Once again, I ask you to please be kind to yourself today. And remember, it's better late than never, because it's never too late. 
If you're looking for your people, your community, and a safe place to learn and get answers to your questions, then come join the conversation. Come join us in our private Facebook group, Coming Out Late, because we all know it's better late than never, and it's never too late. Shut up.